I was beginning to wonder what was going on. Everybody's gone and left me. But um, that's not unusual. Good morning. How many of you believe in miracles? You notice I got two hands up because I got five of them at least in the last uh, 12, 16 months. Um, just a brief word of introduction because I, I want to focus more on the miracles than what happened. Uh, over the last 16 months, I've had plenty of time to re-examine uh, three questions. There is a book out that uh, was written uh, by the guy that has uh, one of the larger churches in America. And he asked the question, what am I on this earth for? What am I here for? On March the 9th, 2018, my wife and I were asleep in the bed up on Lake Gaston near Wildwood Point, And two men, uninvited, tore my kitchen door clean off the wooden frame came into my bedroom and one of them began to try to beat me to death. The other one kidnapped my wife, Dr. Nancy Boylan offered, and pursued to the credit union to try to get more money because they weren't happy with the fact that we didn't have a couple of million dollars laying around the house. And uh, so I had about $200 in the drawer my dresser drawer, and so they took that, and then they decided to go to Roanoke Rapids and clean out my wife's checking account. But anyway, during the time that they were gone, I was tied up in the bed, expecting to die that day, March the 9th, 2018, in my own bed. Have you ever wondered how you're going to die? There's one nod. Maybe some of you haven't lived quite. There's another one, old Air Force buddy back there. Is that still right? My son's retired now, Major. I have to be nice to him. I have to say yes, sir, to him. And, uh, but anyway, um, during the time that they were going to the credit union, God, whom I believe in with all my heart, my spirit, my soul, everything about me has been totally focused on God since 1960. I know sometimes we try to work God into our busy schedules. Most of us are guilty of that. We're getting educations, we're growing families, and we're doing all the wonderful stuff that human beings do. But on March the 9th, 2018, happily married for 57 years to my one and only wife, 10 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, and I thought we had the world by the tail. We were getting ready to retire. Everything could not be better. And life as we knew it came to a screeching halt. Within the next two hours, my wife was gonna be kidnapped and murdered I was going to be still tied up in the bed, hand and foot. They set my house on fire. And if, how many of you know what the word obedience means? Now, most, most of us, that word is, you know, what did mom and dad tell me to do today? 
or what did grandma and granddaddy tell me to do today and what can I get away with and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to think about the word obedience as it relates to God. And I worked out three interesting little statements that are fun to play with, especially since we've got so many young people here today. This is wonderful. It's been a while since I've been here at uh, Olive Branch, but one of the things I did when I first came to this area was I was director of missions for Concord Baptist Association for about seven years, and that's when I met that good-looking guy's father. And Mr. Black was a dear, dear friend. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for choosing him to be your daddy. <laughs> All right. And uh, Mr. Blackwell, we were buddies, and we worked hard on history books and all kinds of stuff together. And in my spare time, I was traveling all over the world. My wife and I, as she went with me most of the time, but I had the pleasure of making 18 overseas mission trips, going from Israel to Rome to Africa to Central America, to Panama, to uh, Mexico, seven times before I finally got to the point where uh, Southern Baptist said, you need to take a break. And I said, is that a nice way of saying I'm getting too old? And they went, well, we didn't want to say it. And I said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> But uh, next month, August, I'll be 82. And Betty, that ain't too bad for an old guy, is it? How, what is it, the Silver Eagles or something? <laughs> the Golden Eagle. And uh, I still miss y'all, I really do. But anyway, uh, when we devoted our life to Jesus in 1960, I'm sure y'all remember that well, right? 1960? That's when I got married. And my wife and I got uh, baptized, saved, and married all in the same summer. And we grew up in a time when, when you devoted your life to Jesus, that meant exactly that, total devotion to Jesus. Now, we did everything else that people normally do. We raised a family. We had three children. We adopted two more children. We have 10 grandchildren. And we owned a daycare center for 21 years with 220 more children. So we were busy people, both of us, where I worked for the government for 16, 17 years with the Army and the Navy, flying guided missiles and all that kind of stuff during Vietnam. So we had a good life. My wife graduated from a high school senior up to Dr. Nancy Bolin offered. And we, she was able to work in all of that in her spare time when the kids were taking a nap in the afternoon. She went over to Old Dominion and completed her education. And then she went to Florida to get her doctorate degree and left me home with five kids. <laughs> I didn't think that was really exciting. But then the church said, well, we'll help you. And uh, so Lord knows I still miss her. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, open it up to the book of Romans. If you don't, that's okay. Uh, I've go, I'm going to show you three verses of Scripture, and then I'm going to walk you very carefully through what happened that morning in the bedroom and what happened after that. Uh, during the time they were at the credit union, out of this spirit of devotion to God, 
God spoke to me that morning. And it's not the first time he had spoken to me down through the years. Uh, he spoke to me just as plain as anything in the world. You need to get untied. That's all he said. Well, in my heart, in my mind, that was a direct order. I remember when I first went in the army, they said, when a general makes a suggestion, you consider it a direct order. And he's the highest ranking general I know. So his, his statement was, you need to get untied. And so the only tools I had to work with were my mouth. So I began to gnaw and gnaw and gnaw and gnaw on the ropes. And the best I can remember, it took me about a half an hour to 40 minutes to finally get free. But I had also been threatened to be cut and shot in the head. And so I was very careful not to let the bad guys know that I had been able to free myself. Because when they got back, that's when another tragedy took place and my wife lost her life and then they set our house on fire. And if I had been still in the bed, still tied up, uh, I would have died in my own bedroom with my wife that day. But God spoke to me and I spent all that time getting untied and when I got out of bed, and walked around to the corner of the bed to make sure my wife was okay because I didn't know what was going on with her at the time. I was greeted by a raging inferno that came out of the kitchen and the exercise room. They had dumped about five gallons of gasoline and let it run all the way around through there into the bedroom and everywhere. And the only thing that saved me was the fact that in the carpet in the bedroom, it did not get to my side of the bed. And so that gave me five seconds from the time I put my feet on the floor until I walked around to the uh, middle of the bed trying to locate my wife and was greeted with that inferno that came out of the uh, exercise room. I had five seconds. There's no way humanly possible anybody could have gotten untied in that, sh that short period of time. It is not going to happen. But since I was obedient and practiced obedience every day of my life to God, I was able to survive that. I was severely burned and trying to get to my wife and trying to help her and trying to just figure out what to do next. And, uh, but anyway, when I finally got to the point where I couldn't get to her any other way, I lay down on my stomach in the floor and crawled underneath the smoke into the exercise room trying to find her. Never could, not realizing that I was being cooked alive by the heat. It was about 3,500 degrees. And just about the time I backed out and realized that if I stay in here longer, I'm never gonna make it out of here alive. One of the windows that we had over our bedroom, it blew that whole window and everything right out of the wall. I mean, just exploded. And I said, it's time to get out of here. And so I went out through the doors onto the deck and came around to the front. Well, by then, the sirens were blowing, the fire truck got there and all that kind of stuff. So miracle number one, 
is the fact that I survived it in the first place. Miracle number two is through all of that experience and getting ready to go to Chapel Hill on a helicopter. They brought a, landed a helicopter right up on River Road because they kept looking at me like I was something strange, but I felt fine. But when I got to the hospital, they never would let me see myself. And that's why when you look at me today, you're looking at the most amazing miracle that you have ever seen. When they took me into that hospital, I, about five days later, they finally showed me the picture of myself that when I came into the hospital off the helicopter. If you've ever seen an old tree stump that they've tried to burn a tree stump down, that's exactly what I look like. I was black as coal from the top of my head all the way down to just about my waistline. Arms, chest, back, everything. Could not tell what it was human, but I had no idea who I was looking at. It was so bad. And so they immediately put me in the burn unit. I stayed in the burn unit in Chapel Hill for a little about, just about a month. But that's where one miracle right after another began to take place. One after another. And it wasn't anything that I was special or anything like that. It was just the fact that I was, instead of praying for me, uh, when I would take my daily walks, I would walk around the halls on the fifth floor and stop and pray for every person that was in those rooms because I had watched some of them come in there and I knew I looked bad but at least you could tell it had arms and it had a head but I saw some people come into that burn unit that didn't look that good and Betty it was horrible I mean being on the fifth floor at Chapel Hill Hospital is one notch under heaven I used to declare that the nurses and the doctors on that floor have to be angels that's all it is I worked with been in hospitals for 40 some years but I'd never been in one like this one and I walked the floor and I just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and every day at 11 o'clock it was my turn to hit the bath rack they had a stainless steel bed that they put me in and then they would turn on the water and then they would take those little brushes and I had IVs in both arms and they would turn on the medicine and then they would start scrubbing. And if you look at the backs of my arms, they are clearly darker than they are on this side. And the reason for that's true, the underside of my arms was not burned. I was like this crawling underneath the smoke and the tops of my arms were getting fried. I mean, they were black. They looked like two burned up tree stumps tree limbs sticking out there and it took almost a month just to get them to the point where I could move my fingers and uh, and I and even today you can see you can still see the difference but anyway my point was that as I walked the halls of that fifth floor praying and praying and praying for everybody else God was being merciful to me because there was a young lady that was in charge of taking the pictures and she would come into my room every day and take a picture 
and she would put it in this little book. Well, just about on the 20, maybe the 15th day, somewhere along in there, she said, I guess I need to show you this book. And this Bible that we're going to look at in just a second, I bought this recently at a place called Ollie's. Y'all ever go to Ollie's? Well, I found this in the, in the Bible section. It's an NIV, but it's a brand new Bible. It's called a Strength Hope Bible. And it was published by Zondervan in 2017. And you, maybe you can see the color. Everywhere that's shaded in blue is uh, passages of scripture that relate to creating within the heart of the believer strength and hope. And out of that comes the word obedience. And it also, while I had plenty of time to think and read up in the hospital, uh, I read the book about what am I here for? And I, for the last 16 months, I have really struggled with that. Why did God allow me to survive? Why? And finally, it came to me one day when I read the 18th verse in the 8th chapter of Rome. If you've got your Bible handy, or you can just listen. It's entitled Present Suffering. That's what we're all going through now. We've even in Sunday school this morning, we talked about several people that uh, know, had just recently found out about cancer or a parent is really gravely ill or something. Most of us have some type of suffering that we're going through or will go through. Present suffering and future glory. And when you read this verse of scripture, here's what Paul says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth. And I went, whoa, wait a minute now. I've been on the fifth floor. And then I read it again. Are not worth comparing. So, you know, people walk up to me and say, well, I know I've never been anything like you've been through. I said, please don't go there. Because trauma that you have is trauma for you. Amen? Trauma for me is Trauma for me, amen? We don't compare them like, oh, mine's worse than yours or mine's better than yours. Don't even go there. That is really, really wrong. But here, as Paul says, but the sufferings that we're going through are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. That verse got fulfilled for me on the fifth floor in the month of March in 2018. When I came in on the helicopter, I felt no pain. I felt no pain the whole time I was there. That's what I call a continual miracle. Because I can tell you, I was right across the hall from the scrub room, and I could hear them in there. And I knew what they were going through. But it was required, you know, to be healed, Neil, to get all that burnt flesh off. You had to get it off. And even today, uh, I'm healed up pretty good now, but it messed up my body so bad, my, I jokingly said my thermostat doesn't work anymore. 
When I'm supposed to be warm, I get cold. Like this morning, I got so warm, all of a sudden I had to take my coat off. And, uh, and then other times, it's like if I go into a room and it's cold, and it's not uncomfortably cold, I'll just start shaking. Because my body, it's, it just cannot tolerate changes like it used to. But it's getting better. Now, when you think about that glory, with the glory that will be revealed in us, the fact that I'm standing here is to the glory of Almighty God that somebody could go through the fire, be burned almost to death, go to the hospital and sign the papers. My daughter is an attorney, and we signed all the papers that if I stopped breathing, they would not resuscitate me because of what was left. Now stop and think about that. If they even asked the question, it tells me that they were really not sure that I was going to make it. Amen? I mean, it's as plain as anything. So I signed all the papers. But then, when I began, when they finally showed me the pictures, and it got over to the last row of pictures, it was day 21. And everybody on row number one, that unrecognizable, on row 21, looked like these young ladies over here that have never been sick a day in their life. And one day, this old preacher got to thinking, what is the perfect number in the Bible? And if you don't know this, aunt, you need to listen to this one. The perfect number in the Bible is what? Seven. Number seven. That is God's number. Now, if you multiply three times seven, what do you come up with? Twenty-one. So from unrecognizable, burned beyond recognition, to completely recovered, back to where you look pretty daggone good, kind of bald-headed, but you look pretty good in 21 days. And I went, yes! And that gave me the hope. Day after day after day after day, when I would go to the scrub room and take my walks, praying for everybody else, I'd think, oh God, give me the strength. One more day. One more day. And I'm going to make it. One more day. And guess what? I'm here. So that means I made it. And my hair's finally come back, and I have a lot of scars, but that's okay. But I made it, and that was the, the miracle of miracles. I didn't have to have any skin grafting. I made it. My recovery is coming along very, very well. But what happened was the burning messed up my blood. So I survived the first part, and only to come down with a blood infection. The, it had only been recorded twice in Chapel Hill. How many of you remember gingivitis? Anybody remember that? That's an old, old disease. Well, I thought it was long gone. But they've got two recordings of it in Chapel Hill, and I was number three. That is deadly. 
And I thought, Lord, here they come with the papers again. Because I, I knew I was not going to survive that. I was too weak. I had lost quite a bit of weight, and I knew I would never survive another major infection. I got through the fire okay, but I, I knew I'd never be able to deal with that blood infection. But guess what? I'm still here. They brought in one of the best doctors who is now one of my best friends, Dr. Gorman. And he was a specialist in, in uh, Newburn, North Carolina in blood diseases. And he said, I'd never seen one of these cases. And he said, you're my guinea pig. And I said, well, have fun, but, but make sure it works. Because <laughs> you know my daughter and she's a lawyer and we're gonna get you. And well, they all get, they all go to Garber United Methodist Church in uh, Newburn, where I live now. And he said, oh, we're going to take good care of you. So he finally got rid of all of that. And in 2016, backing up just a little teeny bit, how many of you remember a rheumatic fever? I had that when I was seven years old. And when I turned 78 years old, I said it took about 71 years for it to get me. But I was standing in the pulpit over here at Sanford Memorial Church preaching one Sunday morning. And when I woke up, I was laying there on the floor. And they took me to the hospital and checked me out. And they said, your heart's quit. And I thought, now that's cool. <laughs> Never had that happen before. So they got my heart ticking again. They said, you got to have heart surgery immediately. So they called Wake Medical. And two weeks uh, later, I had me a brand new heart valve. The only problem is it's got two side effects. I crave grass all the time. And I walk around going, mmm, mmm. Because I've got the new valve, the bovine, made out of calf skin. And it's guaranteed for 20-some years. And I told the doctor, I said, if this thing quits, I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> and he said, well, we ain't never had anybody to live that long. I said, well, write it on your book, because I'm going to live that long. My grandfather made it to 101, and I'm going to live past him one way or the other. And that guy over there with the beard named Paul, he knows, he's related to that same granddaddy. And, uh, but we, I'm going to be there 102 years old. I, and I, I don't say if it kills me because we done tried too many different ways. <laughs> but anyway, when I was talking about praying for everybody, one of the last things that happened before I checked out of the hospital on the last time was uh, the doctors asked me if I would pray for all of the staff. This was in the blood hospital, in the burn unit, and everywhere. And uh, it was my joy to pray for the fifth floor in East Carolina. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good. When you come in here so sick that you're not sure you're going to walk out of here, and yet you can make an impact on the hospital that is so great that they ask you to pray for the hospital and the staff before you go home, you got to admit, that's pretty good. Amen? That is pretty good. And that's exactly what verse 18 is saying. It says, and when you look at verse 19, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
And you know when we're revealed? When God pulls off his little miracles and we think we're going to die and everybody else thinks you're going to die and God said, did you bother asking me? Because I'm not finished with this guy yet. And that's when the children are revealed. That's what this is saying. And then, don't keep it a secret. Because when you give your testimony, no matter where, how large or how small, if it is a genuine miracle, I personally believe if you keep it to yourself, that's a sin. Because it's a violation of these scriptures. God said the world's going to know who my kids are by the way they are revealed. And how does God reveal you? Through the miracles that he performs in your day-to-day -day life. That's pretty neat, isn't it, Neil? When God pulls off stuff like this, you've heard the doctor say, well, we've done all we can do. That's when God kicks in and does his best work. And I am living proof because three times I had a heart attack last October and they pulled me through all of that. So the burn, the blood poisoning, and the heart attack, the burnt valve, the bad valve, all of that stuff should have got me. But it didn't because God knew that I was going to practice my faith right there in that hospital so that they would know. It changed the way they saw God. We got, had people saved. We had people that started thinking about obedience. I mean, all of that stuff, just as a matter of listening to the testimonies and listening to the prayers that this preacher would pray up there in that hospital. And last but not least, I know we've got a lot of young people here and a lot of older people, and then we've got ones that's cotton tops. I like cotton tops. I was in a Dallas airport recently in April. I was going out to Arizona to see my grandkids. And we stopped there in a book rack, and it had a little book there, these little religious books, you know. And I wish I had bought it because when I went back to get it, it was gone. And I broke my own rule. I said, if you see it, you want it, and you got the money, buy it, because when you come back, it ain't going to be there. And that was especially in Central America. But I went back to get that book, and it was gone. But here's the title of the book. I memorized it very carefully. It said, if God made up your bucket list. How many of you got a bucket list? One, there's an old guy way back in the back. Mr. Jones, hold up your hand. He's got a bucket list. I know him. He's my favorite pharmacist. And... Uh, if God, well, you know what a bucket list, how, what's a bucket list? Anybody? It's a list of things you hope to get done before you leave, right? Go into heaven, not South Hill. <laughs> That's what a bucket list is. And it asks the question, if God made up your bucket list, would it match the list that you made up? Man, have I thought about that for the last 16 months. Does my list match his list? If it doesn't, he's not in trouble. Amen? But I need to go back to my bucket list. If I'm going to be obedient, then my list ought to match his list. Does that make sense? Amen to that. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, I thank you, thank you, thank you for this amazing day that I can stand before your people and say I'm the miracle because I am. Not to brag or anything like that, but I'm a miracle because I'm your child. And I'm revealing to the world what you've done. And I'm just the recipient of your amazing grace. So God, forgive me of my sins and failures and just use me forever and ever and ever to your honor and your glory. And I pray for each and every person in this room today. If there's any here that are not saved, it all starts with you. It starts with God being born again and living and committing and dedicated to you. And for the rest of us that here that know you as Savior and Lord, if we've got a burden or a prayer request that needs to be handled before you go home, don't put it off. Let's deal with it right now. Because there may not be a tomorrow. We just don't know. So forgive us now, Lord. May we quench not your spirit, but be with us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.